Welcome to the Soundings Theatre for this insight debate over the pros and cons of the MMP voting system and the strengths and weaknesses of the other systems voters can choose. I'm Philippa Tolley. And I'm Julian Robbins. With us are eminent former politicians, most of whom have worked under the mixed member proportional system and are well aware of what is good and what is not so good about MMP. Jim Bolger was the National Party Prime Minister when MMP voting system became a reality. Jeanette Fitzsimons, a former Green Party co-leader, is from one of the smaller parties that has benefited most from the proportional system. Ruth Richardson was a finance minister in the Bolger government, although not under MMP. She's a backer of the previous system of first-past-the-post and predicted in 1993 that MMP would bring economic ruin. A former Labour Deputy Prime Minister, Michael Cullen, is a convert. After initially voting against the system, he now embraces MMP and the greater diversity it brings to Parliament. While not strictly a party political issue, there are campaigns for and against the current system. Jordan Williams is the spokesperson for the group Vote for Change, which questions whether MMP ensures politicians remain accountable. Sandra Gray from the Campaign for MMP argues proportional representation acts as a check on the power of both the Cabinet and the Government. And we're also joined by a Professor of Political Science, Nigel Roberts, from Victoria University, who is helping the Electoral Commission with its public education drive ahead of the referendum and will help us with any areas that need his expertise. Now, the MMP referendum itself will ask two questions. Should New Zealand keep the mixed-member proportional representation voting system? The second question asks voters if New Zealand did change voting system, which of four options would they prefer? But why are we at this stage? Why the need for a referendum? What, if anything, is wrong with MMP and with its two votes and mix of electorate and list MPs? Well, Jim Bolger, if we could start with you as the uh, Prime Minister whose watch MMP came in under... You didn't like the change, and in the end, you don't like the result. What hasn't worked from MMP from your perspective? I think MMP has done what most of us predicted would happen, that the minor parties would have very considerable influence in the formation of government and therefore in government policy and power over their size of representation or voice in the public, uh, that you would have the issue of a big list which is substantially controlled by the party organisations, which is not that democratic, and uh, you would have the problem of uh, electorates voting out a candidate and that person comes back in again on the list. So my concern mainly is it has reduced the number of members who are directly elected by their constituencies well down. I think we should have more of them elected directly and that is a more participatory democracy. And remember, we are electing people with the House of Representatives. Do you accept, though, that it is a fairer system fundamentally and that each vote counts towards the, the representation in the House? Well, I start with a basic premise from my perspective, and that is there is no perfect system. So I'm not arguing for a perfect system. They don't exist anywhere. Countries all around the world work with different systems, and they all survive. So, you know, we shouldn't be talking about Armageddon or something. You know, they all survive, and they produce governments, and they govern. What I think is better, or what we can improve upon, which is why I'm on uh, supporting supplementary member, is in fact that we'll have a larger number of electorate MPs directly responsible to their constituents. A smaller number on the list can enable the parties to have a more representative face if they don't select the right candidates. Now, there's no reason why parties can't select the right candidates to get representation as well. But let's presume that doesn't happen. Then let us have a list, but a smaller list, to enable that to be compensated Dr. for. Dr Cullen, if I could ask you, initially you weren't keen on the this system. You changed your mind. Why? Well, I think for two or three reasons. Um, firstly, 
it seems to me the onus of proof is on those who are proposing change. In other words, we have to demonstrate the current system is failing and that something will replace it which is better. I don't think anybody has made that case at all successfully so far. Secondly, MMP is clearly fairer in that it gives representation to minority opinions within the public at large, which previously were unrepresented even if they gained as much as 20% of the vote. And it's workable. The reality is that after a settling in period, we have had four terms of stable government within New Zealand. And yes, concessions are made to minor parties to get support. That's perfectly proper. They represent a section of public opinion. But nevertheless, governments have been able to carry through programs of change which they've presented to the public at the election and have had a mandate to carry through. One final point. It seems to me in terms of going to the alternative of supplementary member, it's a little bit like saying to Adam and Eve after they've tasted of the fruit of knowledge, why don't you just settle down for some heavy petting from here on? I just, I just don't think it's a workable solution. Well, it's totally workable, whether you like it or not, Michael. A little, well, little difficult to leap in after that particular analogy. But, Dr. Cullen, if I could say, you know, that point about fairness, I mean, that would have been obvious uh, when you were looking at the systems to begin with. What was the concern that you didn't embrace MMP to begin with? I think the concerns at that time were partly that some of the claims made for MMP were patently untrue, that we'd have the development of pure, lovely Northern European consensual politics which, of course, has since broken down in Northern Europe um, as well, because society generates the nature of the politics, not politics the nature of your society, um, and by and large. But also concerns that there would be excessive power exercised by small parties. In practice, that does not prove to be the case. Yes, you can say, well, Winston Peters got, for example, more money for foreign affairs than they should have got. Probably true. But under first-past-the-post, you had enormous bribes given to marginal electorates in first-past-the-post and proliferation of international airports, universities, hospitals, goodness knows what else, irrelevant to the actual needs of the nation at large. No system will produce perfect outcomes. That will only be produced by a perfect leader, a dictator who knows everything and can be a benevolent dictator. Uh, we've never found a benevolent dictator in the world either, uh, and the system doesn't work. Ruth Richardson, if we could come to you now, an opponent of MMP, a supporter of First Past the Post. Was First Past the Post a benevolent dictatorship in that it gave those major parties more seats in the House than their proportion of votes might have entitled them to on a proportional basis and made for incredibly strong executive government? Well, let's, let's start with what the mission is, and I think the mission is what is the best form of representative government uh, that we can get. And for me, the test of that is, does the system allow a government to play a strong hand in advancing the country's economic and social welfare? So if you look at the two elements of representative government, the difficulty with MMP is that we've allowed the pendulum to swing so far in favour of the representation at the expense of the government. And that is, you know, c completely uh, contrary to the country's interests. Um, how many more downgrades do you think we need, Dr Cullen, to convince you that MMP uh, is responsible for weak government, drift and decline? <laughs> I managed that, that one that, for that nine years, actually. That is the last system uh, that, that, that we need. The strength of First Past the Post is that it does allow a government to govern and it gives much more power to the people because they can kick out a government that doesn't perform. Now, in advocating MMP and advocating against MMP and for first past the post, to come to your, your, your point, Julian, 
uh, I would match a return to first-past-the-post with a strengthening of the checks and balances in Parliament so that you raise the bar uh, and that you have rules that give uh, proper uh, capacity for select committees to scrutinise, uh, subject the executive to more rigorous scrutiny and only allow the suspension of those rules if all parties because agree. First past the post um, was kicked out in many ways, arguably, because of a reaction to the strength of government, the strength of the Muldoon regime, the strength of the fourth Labour government that pushed through a programme of reforms that was controversial, incredibly controversial. Well, it was the strength that, in fact, stood New Zealand in good stead and did allow po policies to be pursued uh, that rescued the country when it faced a, a very grim economic future. Uh, and that is a strength of first-past-the-post, and there was an accountability for the decisions equally, that were it, taken. It allowed a strong government that you disagreed with, that you're a member of, Sir Robert Muldoon's uh, national government. Yes, but if, if you have a look at, at that government, there was very, very substantial contest of ideas inside the caucus. Now, if you take a current parliamentarian, Simon Power, uh, he just made a very powerful valedictory speech in which he argued more for ideas over management. He argued for plans. The trouble with MMP is that party and brand trumps policy and plan. It's systemically unable to produce the kind of leadership the country needs. So for me, the test of the electoral system, when you're looking at the balance of representative government, is does it allow the government of the day to advance in the nation's interests the policies that are required to advance our prosperity and our welfare? Jeanette, for Simons, if I could turn to you, a supporter of MMP. Are the Greens only in Parliament because of MMP? Do you need the system to make sure a party like yours actually gets into Parliament? I think the key thing is looking at what are communities of interest now and who MPs should be accountable to. Once upon a time when people couldn't travel much, your community of interest was where you lived. And so electorates electing MPs was really the only kind of community we had. These days, communities of interest can be a great deal wider than that. They can be nationwide. We have communities of interest among disabled people. We have communities of interest among people who are passionate about sustainability, who vote for the Greens. Now, you, as, as, as the only Green who's ever actually won an electorate seat, I know that my support was spread across the whole country, and you don't expect from a small party to win a geographical electorate. But the key thing about MMP is it is the only proportional electorate. If democracy in Parliament is about reflecting the will of the people, then if you, if you get 10% of the vote, you should get 10% of the seats. No other system is proportional, and people have a right to have their voices heard in Parliament. I think that the other thing Ruth hit on very well, the question of the country's interests. Well, I'm sorry, but New Zealanders are not of one mind about where the country's interests lie. There are many different views about where the country's interests lie, and those views need to be represented in Parliament where we can have a robust debate. Do you think the electorate representation, then, is of diminished importance, that it is big, more important to get that proportionality of what party people choose as a country overall? I think the balance of having half MPs electorate elected from geographical constituencies and half elected from national constituencies on the grounds of um, policy and, 
and vision and, and platform is about the right balance. I actually don't see where the problem is. MMP's working fine. We should just let it get on with it. Well, that's the view from the former politicians. Let's turn to the lobby groups, and both the pro and anti-camps have been speaking around the country over the past few months. And Jordan Williams, if I could start with you. Uh, first of all, you, you, you're campaigning against MMP, but not for anything. Why, well, why is that? Well, that leads into the, the point that Michael Cullen made about the onus of proof. Because a vote for change doesn't actually get rid of MMP. All it does is guarantee us a second referendum a chance to assess MMP against one of the alternatives in three years' time. So the onus of, really, what we argue is vote for change and get that debate. But let me just come back to the point about fairness on MMP. MMP is hardly fair when one man, Winston Peters, has chosen who the government is twice now out of the five, out of the five MMP elections we've had. So MMP, if you voted for Winston Peters, your vote counted more. We don't think that's fair. But perhaps fairness is, a, is not the best way to assess our electoral system. Maybe if we come back to accountability, because I think that's fundamentally what is the problem with MMP, is that even if we... Um, we just heard Jeanette Fitzsimons discuss that we want a balance between lists and, uh, and constituency seats. The trouble with MMP, if a party loses a constituency seat, it doesn't actually matter, because they merely receive another list MP. So what that means is that a person in a marginal seat, instead of thinking, oh, I could lose my seat if my party does this, I better jump up and down and ensure that they, ensure that they don't and stand up for my constituency. Instead they think under MMP, oh, I could lose my seat. But those marginal I better seats, do what my party wants those marginal to seats ensure are one I thing. keep... But there's also a, a whole bunch of safe seats where effectively... But you have those that under people... any system. If you're number five on the Labour Party list, you can't boot them out. If you're in a safe national, safe Labour seat on the other extreme of MMP, you can't boot them out. And is that, so come is back that to the, the margins. Is that the feedback you're getting from the public meetings that you've been doing, that the major concern is around accountability and about the list MP coming back after losing an electorate? Yeah, the main one is that list MPs sneaking back in on the party list. Sandra Gray, uh do people actually care? I mean, what is it about the system that we need to be looking at changing? Is there a lot out there that people are saying, look, we, we really have got big concerns and we're not happy with how MMP is working? I think when we go out and we talk to ordinary voters, um, there is no sense that there are big concerns. What there is are there are minor tweaks that people want to see in the system. And unfortunately, with this process, we get an absolute chance to review MMP. Um, I mean, uh, Jim Bolger said, no system is perfect. MMP is not a perfect system. And all systems adapt over time. And we get an independent review this time um, if we vote to keep MMP. And we can actually iron out some of those wrinkles around Jill Candice or around the threshold, and in fact, I would actually argue the threshold is actually the thing that most people are debating. They're not so worried um, about list MPs and, and electorate MPs. They see all MPs as being politicians in the House. What they're really concerned about is, do the thresholds really serve the public? And I guess that's where I think the debate should be, and, and no disrespect to all the politicians here, um, but I think we should be thinking about what voters need from their electoral system, not what political parties need. 
And in fact, MMP does mean that every vote counts towards the, the shape of parliament. It doesn't matter if you're the national voter in the safe Labor seat, if you live in, in Kaitaia or the Bluff, you get some say in what parliament looks like. And I think that's really important for us as voters to remember. You know, it's our parliament. They are there to be held account, to account by us. What we want is a contest of ideas in parliament in public, in front of us. We don't want it done behind closed doors where we have no idea what's going on in political parties. We want a diverse, multi-party parliament that represents every single one of us and can really contest the important issues for us as voters. Well, there are a couple of those points. That, are, isn't that the trouble? We're talking about the parliament. It is the parliament that holds the executive to account. This is about a system that throws up a government of a country. The test is what produces the highest quality government. For, for me, that, that, that's the real issue. Well, I certainly and who the defines highest quality? That is the real issue. Highest quality is in how the country makes progress on the issues that matter for them. Prosperity, welfare. No, but it really great, does depend who's agendally talking to. Exactly. <laughs> Sandra Gray, if so I could just go back to you, though. That, that's, you mentioned about the strength, the accountability. Those are some of the important things you said about MMP. Those are also some of the strongest criticisms against MMP. Well, a very strong MMP. measure of accountability is our ability to chuck the rascals out, as people say. And that means we chuck out whole governments. That we... That we want to get rid of whole governments, and we have seen transition from government to government under MMP, and that's really important. We as voters decided in 1999 we wanted a change of government, and we got it. And of course, we got another change of government at the last election. That's one of the really important accountabilities. But, but Ruth Richardson's right, accountability in the House is important. You see more accountability in the House when you have multi-party parliaments, where all the views of New Zealand are represented in the House and can hold the executive to account. And that is what we do see with Nig an MMP government. Nigel Roberts, if I could just turn to you. Look, we've heard everybody's opinion here today, and we've also heard people express their opinion that there is no perfect system. Everybody's going to disagree. Nothing's going to absolutely satisfy everybody. From a voter's point of view, they're looking at all these systems, they're looking at MMP. What are the important factors they need to be considering when choosing what system they should be selecting or supporting? Well, that depends on the voters' values. Uh, it seems to me that voters who say that uh, effective government, uh, for example, which was one of the ten criteria that the Royal Commission put forward in 1986, if that to them is the uh, single most important value that they hold, then I think that they should be uh, saying, well, what is most likely to deliver a single-party majority government? On the other hand, the complete obverse of that is another of the Royal Commission's criteria, uh, the 10 that they uh, put forward, and that's effective parliament. And by and large, they're opposite sides of the same coin. And the stronger your government, the weaker your parliament. If you want a parliament that is effective, then you might have to have a slightly weaker parliament. So, I mean, again, you, you have a tension in these criteria. Another one clearly is fairness. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, I'm concerned about fairness. They go to the Electoral Commission's uh, toolkit and they push the slider on to the maximum fairness, the maximum proportionality. Oh, I like effective government. And they push the slider to more effective government. And what do they get? Two contradictory sets of recommendations. So it really is a prioritization of people's own values that is important. And I think that uh, Mr. Bolger was right, and I think other people have agreed with him. There's no such thing as a perfect voting system. A voting system is merely a means for converting votes into seats. And let's, of course, remember, they all produce politicians.
And, of course, it's your job. But that's just as good as producing academics, so let's not worry about that. That's the we'll get to vote. Yes, academics for tenure can last 40 years. Um, but uh, one of the other criteria, up, just if I could just finish with... Me, can I just pick up a point that uh, Nigel made? Because I think it's important. The Royal Commission did go out and study and do a very serious analysis of various options, and they recommended MMP. They recommended MMP on the success that system had been in Germany and had some expectation that New Zealanders would somehow mirror the German reaction to the political system. We haven't. In the initial stages, there was this uh, rush to find this mythical centre party that could coalesce with the National Party or coalesce with the Labour Party, etc. That hasn't emerged. So the ambitions of the Royal Commission, however noble they were, simply hasn't been translated from Germany to New Zealand. So we've Surely got to we've, still got, we've got an adversarial system still, haven't we? We've effectively Without got question. camps on either side built around the major parties still. That's exactly right. So if you form a camp around the left or the right or whatever you want to call them nowadays, they then coalesce and they support one group of legislative measures, and they will all vote 90 times out of 100. They'll vote identical right through. So, but this, but yes, this, you do get adversarial. But the, but the sad evidence from Germany is that that system was designed to paralyse Parliament, was the post-Hitler regime. Correct. And if you have a look at Germany now, and you look at all of Europe, you do not see the kind of success that you might have thought would come from that system. Okay. And I, and do I, you I, see I, the same sort of success, say, from oh, Great oh, Britain, that has first past the post? Can we just... Economy is very strong. Just, just looking on the Royal Commission, yes. I just want to take this opportunity to commend uh, Michael, Cull um, Michael Cullen and Jim Bolger on that Royal Commission process. Because that fourth Labour government and Jim Bolger's government, they had the Royal Commission, they reviewed our electoral system, and then they put the recommendations to the people. What we're seeing here in this process is a referendum where you can vote to change and we get a second referendum, the final say, which is what we obviously argue, keep control, or you get that review after the referendum with no further guarantee that those, whatever the politicians come up with or ultimately pick up from the review, are put to the people. So we argue that to keep control, you must tick change. Because even then, if you are uncertain about MMP but want to keep control of it, because it is our voting system, Sandra's absolutely right, this shouldn't be done in, uh, in back, as part of MMP backroom deals. If you want the second referendum and the final say, you have to tick change. Thank you for that, Jordan Williams. Uh, just to remind everyone, I think we should at this point remind you all of the options available in this referendum. You get that first question, whether or not you want to retain MMP. But there are the, the second question has the four systems, and they are single transferable vote and preferential voting, supplementary member and first past the post. Now, first past the post, obviously, the former system and the one that perhaps has had the most coverage uh, in this debate so far. Ruth Richardson, you're obviously still a fan, but how do you answer that, that fundamental question that in 1978 and 1981, in general elections, the Labour Party won more votes, the National Party won more seats, it formed the government, it got all the power? As I say, there is no perfect form. <laughs> no. And, and it's a question of... of the, the pendulum, you've got this balance of representative government. I'm arguing the pendulum has swung far too far in favour of the representation at the expense of the quality of the government 
and it has shown, not just here, but internationally. And, and, and I come, Sandra's point is, you know, MMP gives you the accountability. I looked at seven countries, mainly Europe, but also Japan, developed countries who have had some form of proportional representation, because there are many variants on this theme. And of those seven countries, since the end of, of the Second World War in 1950, they've had 103 elections, and in only six of those 103 elections have they changed the government. Michael now, Cullen. you know, you have a look at the entrenched well, we're problems. we're two of them for a start. So. You look at the entrenched problems, and then you have to have a look at what kind of engine New Zealand wants. I want to be very patriotic and, and, and parochial about this. What you're, kind... You're talking about the quality of government exactly. that, that we had. And for nine years under MMP, Michael Cullen, you were a pretty key part of that government. Yes. How did MMP affect the policy programme and your ability to follow through on what Labor wanted to achieve? It meant the necessity of negotiating some additional elements, which we wouldn't have done, uh, modifying some things that we take into the public, but the absolute core of the programme we took in three successive elections was delivered by that government. You have in place now a national-led government, which, despite what uh, Ruth is saying, it actually has an absolute majority in Parliament, along with ACT, a party to the right of national. That is not what is holding national back from following Ruth's policies. They're not following them because, A, most of them don't believe in them, and, B, they know they wouldn't be re-elected this year's election if they did follow those policies. You see, unlike Ruth, I don't think the purpose in the electoral system is to produce a government which will necessarily follow the policies of the ACT Party or something close to it. I think the people have to be allowed to be wrong, even if you disagree with them. The people are allowed to produce the government they want. That is what democracy is about. Democracy is not about screwing the scrum so the ball always comes out on your side on it. Nigel Roberts, if I could just bring you in at this point on, on one of those alternative systems. Preferential voting every voter gets to rank the candidates in their electorate. Is the outcome, though, pretty much the same as the first-past-the-post system that, that uh, Ruth Richardson is, is uh, arguing for? The outcome in preferential voting systems tends to lead to single-party majority governments. I mean, it, uh, on the other hand, just as in Britain with first-past-the-post, you've now got a coalition government, so too in Australia you've got a minority Labour-led government with confidence and supply agreements with the Green member and with um, independents. So, but the tendency is, yes, it's uh, based in 120 single-member electorates, pre preferential voting. Um, the difference is, of course, people need an absolute majority. Um, in Australia at the last election uh, in uh, 2010, only 43 per cent of the 150 MPs got an absolute majority. And so that they had to do then look at the second preferences of lowest polling candidates and successively until somebody had an absolute majority. If I can just remind everybody at this stage that we're listening to an insight special debate on the referendum on the electoral system and joining us here at Papa's Sounding Theatre are former politicians Jim Bolger, Michael Cullen, Ruth Richardson and Jeanette Fitzsimons, as well as Jordan Williams for the anti-MMP lobby group Vote for Change and Sandra Gray from the campaign for MMP and as we've just heard from Professor Nigel Roberts from Victoria University. Jeanette Fitzsimons, we've heard Winston Peters' name several times already. I mean, that is the big problem. That's a big criticism. These small parties... I'm not sure Winston would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Wag 
the tail of the dog, basically. You know, that is the issue. You know, they're dictating, they've got a disproportional amount of influence. Uh, for those that support MMP, how can you argue against that? Well, I'm tempted to say Winston who? Because actually... Winston has really suffered electorally from what he's done. If you look at the way he kept the country waiting for 10 weeks and pretended he was negotiating with two parties in 1996, in fact he wasn't, he was just trying to up the ante and get the finance portfolio, he, his um, numbers in Parliament were reduced from 17 to 5 at the following uh, election. The people punished him. When they didn't like his behaviour over campaign donations and truthfulness um, in the previous term of government, um, they kicked him out altogether. But all He's smaller not parties all. have suffered, haven't they? That whenever they've gone into some sort of coalition, they've come away with reduced support. So does everybody suffer when they sign up to a major party and yet they are still accused of having a disproportionate amount of influence? Well, I think um, Michael and I could probably agree from the number of times we've sat across the table and eyeballed each other that the Greens did not get more than their fair share of influence when we worked with the Labour Party. As he said, the core of their policies still went through. We did not vote for them on everything. We were not part of the coalition and we didn't suffer for having a confidence and supply uh, or support arrangement with them. I don't think small parties do need to suffer from arrangements with major parties as long as they are absolutely upfront about what they're arguing for and if they lose in Cabinet, they should be able to say, well, this was our policy, we fought for it, we lost. There's nothing more we can do about that. It's a numbers game. And I think if small parties do that straightforwardly to the electorate, I don't see any reason why they will suffer. I think there have been reasons why smaller parties have suffered um, so far, and I think it has to, they need to look in the mirror for that. There speaks a party that's doing well in the polls at the moment. It's great to be confident, but uh, let's be honest. There's all sorts of obvious agendas, look. The Green Party wants MMP. Of course they do, because that'll get them a number of seats, and all the polls suggest they'll get a lot of seats in Parliament, and they'll be associated with somebody in some form in the next government. And some of the small parties, like ACT, are desperately trying to do deals in Epson, and may work, may not, and nobody's raised that question. Is that really what we want with MMP? So you do behind-the-door deals to get somebody through on some desperate sort of please give my vote to somebody and so forth. I mean, we have to be quite straightforward on this. I don't think that's a very open democratic system either. However, deals were done under first-past-the-post No, we're near the same. Look, and, I, and look, I was there. Look, just take some <laughs> advice. No, I, I, I assure <laughs> you so, there so were deals done. And I, I mean, I do think that Jeanette points Why? out a really important thing about the, the power of, of, the, of, the, of the third parties. They do not get um, immense power, and, they, and their voters do say that to them, the people who vote for them. And we've got to remember that the Greens aren't there because the Greens want to be there. They're there because people who vote for them want them to be there. You know, and nearly one in five New Zealanders wants those third parties in Parliament. If we and, get and, rid and of proportional representation, could, then what we end up doing is getting rid of the power of those votes. And you think about that, one in five people in New Zealand being disenfranchised, being told their vote doesn't count and wasting their vote is not Bolger, a good democratic the, system. Under the system that you are supporting, supplementary member, the smaller parties would become even smaller. Supplementary member, the party vote only applies to those 30 list MPs. So a party that got 10% of the party vote would only get three MPs as to, say, 12 or more under MMP. Surely that system is, is just first past the post with, with some token gestures. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's, 
It's, it's, one of, it's one of the options to try and get a functioning, workable system. You can say every system works. As I said earlier in an observation, there's systems all around the world that are different. There's absolute proportionality in countries like Israel and so forth, and you get about 25 parties, single-member parties, and they're, they're connected and so forth. Uh, we're not trying to do that. We've demonstrated we're not going to become of the mindset of the German people who have had an MNP system for a long time and have generally made it work very well. But as Ruth Richardson said, they came out of the horrors of Hitler Germany. They were looking for something quite different. We don't come from any of that. We are looking for a representative parliament. We do have benefits in getting a wide diversity of views, people, personalities, cultures, beliefs, etc., into our parliament. Totally agree with that. We are a House of Representatives. It is a House of Representatives that we are electing. The question is, how far do you go in one direction and where the balance is? Pro Professor Nigel Roberts has said quite correctly, it depends on your values, but I think we're obliged to look at the evidence. This is a chance for us to look at how this has played out, in fact. And I would argue, when you look at the evidence of successive MMP-style parliaments, then the choices you might have expected haven't played out that way. What I see is politics degenerating into reality TV shows, presidential style where brand and party matters for everything, really no contestability of ideas within the ranks, and a senior minister like Simon Powell lamenting the fact uh, that ideas uh, don't prevail over management. I mean, my view of, of, you know, I want to see politicians rehabilitated as a vocation. I think they play a very important part in the country's welfare and its prosperity. You rob the big parties of the quality of the debate. They all toe the line. I, I think here we're in serious danger of, of remembering some kind of golden age which never existed under first past the post. The, the reality is that a modern executive under MMP is subject to far more scrutiny than it was under first past the post. There is absolutely no question of that, that the parliament has more power so that committees have more power under MMP than they had under first past the post. Ruth talks about strong government. She is really talking code for a particular kind of government no, in that regard, no, doing, no. doing certain things. No, Muldoon's government nonsense. was a strong government. And it, it was a very strong government. It just went in exactly the wrong direction from New Zealand's interests. That was all and finally got chucked out. In the United States, with a first past the post system in both chambers, you end up with the worst example of government paralysis in the world at the present time, a legislature which is paralysed by party politics of the worst variety, one of the major parties being taken over by a sort of invasion of the body snatchers, to a point where the United States is incapable of carrying out the policies that not just it needs, but the rest of the world needs at the present time. And that is a good example that electoral systems don't produce a particular kind of government necessarily at the end of the day. We have had effective governments in New Zealand for the last four terms at least. It's just Ruth doesn't like what oh, they've done. Just look, look at the evidence. It's, it's, and that's a quite different we're, we're, thing from saying they have We're in a declining state of affairs. So what, so what we're hearing are the two extremes. Sandra's quite right in comparing MMP versus first past the post. But those are the two ones at the end of the spectrum. They're the only two that are polling if at the you moment. Want, if we look if you want to guarantee, effectively guarantee majority governments, you'd go for first past the post. But if you want to effectively guarantee minority governments where you have a bidding process after each election that is proportional in process, but we all know not proportional in outcomes, 
you'd vote for MMP. That's so, not true. So we what we argue is look at the ones in the middle. Consider supplementary member. You have list MPs, albeit fewer of them. But importantly, you have that accountability back to local communities. Dr Cullen, if I could go back to you. I, you obviously were in charge under a number of years operating under MMP. There have been comments previously, though, that there isn't that exchange of ideas, there isn't that robust debate, that because of the checks and balances, that means there's, by necessity, a lot of negotiation. A lot of things are agreed before it even gets to the floor of the House, that there are a lot of discussions behind the scenes, and that has taken away some of that that debate and that sense of, I suppose, as Ruth Richardson says, that vocation as a politician. There was not this kind of golden age of internal party democracy uh, that Ruth seems to be remembering. She's certainly remembering uh, when one occasion where she crossed the floor against her own party, where that party was able to drum up support from the two social credit members to thrust that through Parliament uh, in any case. There was no such golden age, and going, going back to first past the post won't recreate a golden age which didn't exist. But your experience exactly under MMP. That, that MMP has not produced a golden age, which its proponents in 1993 thought it would. Ah, I'll repeat myself, no perfect system. So what we shouldn't go to is what I describe as the extremes. What is it that fits the New Zealand mindset? New Zealand is a small society. We like to know our MPs. We like to see them. Uh, Bob Harvey, the former, in fact, the former president of the Labour Party, former mayor of Waitakere City, said in today or yesterday's listener, you know, the problem that bugged him, well, we threw the buggers out and they sneak back in on the list. Now, there is some element of that, and you can explain it away and say, well, it's this and it's that. But people who have consciously decided they don't want that candidate for whatever the reason, and they wake up the next morning, the candidate's still there. Well, one of the buckers is on the stage with us. And <laughs> it exactly happened to Jeanette. Yes. And because Coromandel didn't, didn't want Jeanette as the local... I never describe her as that. Does, does, ...does not mean that New Zealanders as a whole, a significant proportion, didn't want to see Jeanette in the House, which I may say she graced for the successive period after the electors of Coromandel chose Sandra Gardy in preference to Jeanette Fitzsimon, as a choice which your... most of us would find very strange indeed. Michael, but then... But, but Michael, then what's your arguing for is the single national constituency, that there is one constituency, the party put up a list from 1 to 80 or wherever, and we all vote for party A, B, C or D, and then we'll apportion everything accordingly. And that's, that happens in countries around the world. But this, aren't we lucky this, in New Zealand? We have both electorate MPs yes. and list MPs who can serve but other we constituents. Can't throw them out. And we can throw them out. We can throw entire parties out, and we have done that under mm, MMP. No, and we have not rid of that we haven't no, no, If you're going to argue, Sandra, I was going to say this before. If you're going to argue for more perfect proportionality and recognising the weight of each individual vote, then you have to logically take yourself to a single national constituency. No, you don't. You yes, can you have do. the best of both worlds, and that's oh, what MMP your interpretation provides, and the Royal the Commission of both worlds, actually said... The Royal Commission actually said that this provided for New Zealand, who do like to have electorate MPs, but not all people are focused on the person who lives in the community with them. It provided us with 
two types that would actually represent all New Zealanders. All right, we could turn to Nigel Roberts now because the one system that we haven't discussed at this stage is a single transferable vote, which is proportionality. We've been talking about electoral representation. This is a system that would see a group of MPs representing. Uh, what is the uh, attraction over the other systems of STV? Right, right, I, I should just, in answering this, take a slight issue with what uh, Jennifer Simon said, where she says there's no other system is proportional. Uh, STV is regarded as a proportional representation system, probably Doesn't, not as proportional as uh, MMP, but um, uh, uh, it would be throughout the world classified as proportional. We see that, for example, in Ireland. We see it in the Australian Senate. It has proportional results. The advantage of uh, STV is that it has multi-member constituencies, and so you return more than one MP for an electorate. Of course, the advantage is, in other eyes, a disadvantage. Your electorates would be much larger. You'd have 120 electorate MPs from somewhere between, say, 24 and 30 electorates. Now, of course, one real difficulty in the New Zealand context is the size of some of the rural electorates. It doesn't matter if you've got a nine-member electorate in Auckland, say, or a seven-member electorate in Wellington, where there's generally one community of interest. A rural electorate would have more difficulty. But I think it's important to remember that this is a system that actually gives of all the five systems, it gives the voters the most choice because they can get to rank uh, order. They're, they have just one vote, but they can rank order that vote. But isn't, the, isn't it the case in Australia that the parties put out a vote this way? So, in fact, the idea that people take the power in practice doesn't play out because... I, 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 it, yeah. it, well, in Australia, they do that. The parties do hand out yeah, exactly. uh, how-to-vote cards uh, on election day, something that couldn't happen under current electoral law uh, in New Zealand. But, yes... Uh, we would have because this vote above the line system. Uh, there's an above-the-line voting where you can, if you don't want to uh, go, to our vote one here and two there and three there. Uh, and in Australia, I should add, and it's very important to understand, in Australia, it's compulsory to vote for as many candidates and express your preference. So if you're in New South Wales and there are 127 candidates, it's an invalid vote if you accidentally put two 99s uh, or if you get to 126 and drop dead of exhaustion. Um, so they introduced above-the-line voting in 1984 and the vast majority of Senate voters using STV now use above-the-line voting, which says, OK, we'll vote for this party, and in effect you accept the party order of preference. The important thing is in New Zealand, uh, Parliament has already said that if we go to MMP, uh, Ruth Richardson is right, yes, we would have above-the-line voting as well. We're, we're coming to the end of our time, uh, and I would like to turn to the, the third leg of the, of the referendum in a way, in that if uh, voters choose to keep MMP, the Electoral Commission next year will conduct a review. And, and Jordan Williams, is, as the man that doesn't want to keep MMP, if it comes to pass, how would you change it? Oh, well, the, the key th problem with, um, with the review is we just don't know what the, outcome is going, the outcomes are going to be because I'm sure that the review will be very good, whatever it come up with. However, ultimately, it is in the hands of the politicians to determine whether they accept any recommendations 
from the review. And we think that for that reason, it's fundamentally flawed. Yes, Jordan's right. The politicians ultimately decide what shape our electoral system will look like, but they will decide for all of the systems. They are the ones who have to enact yes, the legislation, the and they are That's the ones the who will put them into effect. And they have made major changes to first past the post, and it's time. Um, there is nothing to say that politicians, if we as the voters don't demand it. I mean, after all, everyone said these systems are there to, to, so politicians will do our bidding and be held to account. If we, as the public, go in and make strong representation on the issues of concern to us, we can make the politicians listen. And Nigel Roberts, some of those issues they, they might want to look at, the threshold currently 5%, the idea that if you win an electorate seat, then even if you don't get to 5%, you still get your proportion of the votes. Are those some of the areas, open lists, the ability for voters to rank the lists? What, what, what are some of the things the, that Those are areas play? that the uh, Parliament has said that uh, if uh, half or more vote to keep MMP, then those must be reviewed. Jordan Williams is, is right. Parliament has said they can't review the number of MPs, but I think that is very important to see that in the context. Parliament said, unlike the 1992 referendum, Parliament said, all the systems, all five, uh, on part A and part B of the voting paper, are based on the assumption that there's a parliament of 120, it's going to be a level playing field, and all will have Maori electorates. Now, there is another review, of course, being chaired out of uh, Bill English's office, uh, and that is the constitutional review, where the Maori electorates and the size of parliament so are on the table. That was as a result of a classic MMP backroom yeah. deal. We're having, a, we're, we're having that constitutional review. But, of course, it's only MMP that requires the 120, all of the other systems can conceivably work um, with, with fewer MPs. So if I could just bring it back to Jeanette Fitzsimons just for a moment. As the MMP party uh, that the Greens like to describe themselves, how would you change it? Are you happy with those threshold issues, the, the 5% and the, the one-seat rule? Personally, I've come to the conclusion over the years that the one-seat rule is a bad idea. I hadn't initially envisaged the amount of trading that would go on um, as in Epsom at the moment, although I have to say it's great to say have faith in the people. The voters of Epsom appear to have it sorted. Just because their national tells them to vote for the ACT candidate doesn't mean that they're going to, and it looks at the moment as though they're not going to. And I would say hats off to the voters of Epsom. But I still think that that is a bad rule and that... Um, possibly if you remove the one-seat rule, you also take the threshold down to 4%, uh, because it does seem a little unfair that a, a, party, a party leader who wins a seat and 4.9% of the vote doesn't have any support in the House. But I think that's still preferable to um, the kind of shenanigans that go on at the moment over Epsom. So that's the main one I would change. The idea of having the, the voters rank the party lists is initially quite attractive until you think, well, how would that work? Would the people who intend to vote for Party A actually have the opportunity to rank the list of Party B in order to make it as unattractive as well, possible? I don't think you could do that. another bit of the listing, list of manipulation that happens now when a member goes out of a party and they look at the list and they don't like the next person on the list, so they push that one aside. This has happened. This is not theory. Then they push the next one after that and then say, oh, the third one on the list we like. So let's not pretend that the current list works with a perfect and impartial. That the political leaders of the party decide whether they like the next one on the list or push it aside. Well, which is the real problem with the review. It's very undemocratic.
It shows the power of the party at the expense of the people. And Jeanette's point about wasted votes and Sandra's point about wasted votes, if you've got a threshold at five and you get rid of, of, the, of the one seat list, well, then you've got 5% of wasted votes, which comes back to the, it's a question of how you strike the balance. And my balance starts with the people, starts with the ability of people to kick them out, no, starts, starts, starts with the people being able to know that when they elect a government, it's got the capacity to govern. Well, look, the time is very nearly at an end for this discussion on, on the MMP referendum. Look, we could just finish with a question from each of our eminent politicians. Uh, what is the, the one important factor about the decisions to be made? What is the one important fact that you would be wanting to push if you were going to argue? If I could go first to you, Mr Bulger. I believe the important part is to try, for the voters, to try and determine what is the fair balance. Nothing's perfect. What gets the balance right and what keeps the voting public in their electorates in a reasonable level of control of what happens? That's what I think is important. So you go back to this House of Representatives, the voters in the electorate have a substantive and not absolute say in the outcomes. Dr Cullen. I hate to say this. I agree with Jim, but come to a different conclusion about what to vote for. <laughs> Well, it's good you agree with me. <laughs> and no further point that you'd like to make? No, I, mean, I, think, I think the important thing is that people can see a system which is fair, which gives a representation of the variety of views and the fact that we are no longer a homogeneous nation, all of some particular variety. We are very, very different, and those differences need to be represented within Parliament. And Jeanette Fitzsimons, what's, what's the one thing that I guess you would hope that listeners and voters would keep up most in their mind when they come to, to fill in that ballot paper? I think it is that New Zealand has become a much more diverse and plural place, that all of those diversities of views, and I don't just mean different ethnicities and, and genders and so forth, but those differences of political views um, on which the future that our kids will inherit depends must be properly voiced in Parliament representing the people and that the most representative um, way, the most proportional way of doing that is MMP. And last word to uh, Ruth Richardson. Well, I think we face graver economic peril than any has been prepared to concede. And in the face of that, my conclusion is we have a governance deficit, not just in New Zealand but worldwide. So my test is what is the electoral system, a form of representative government, that best equips a government to be strong in the face of these pressures. Because if we sacrifice our prosperity to uh, a, a skewed form of representation, uh, then we're all going to suffer. Thank you for that. Thank you, in fact, to our full panel for giving us their time and expertise. Thanks to Jim Bolger, Michael Cullen, Jeanette Fitzsimons and Ruth Richardson. Our thanks also to Nigel Roberts, Sandra Gray and Jordan Williams and to Victoria University's School of Government and to Papa for their help in organising this event. At this time, in four weeks, we will know not only more about the shape of the next government, but we'll also have an idea of what choice voters have made in the referendum, although final results won't be known until the 10th of December. But for now, I'm Philip Atali. And I'm Julian Robbins, and that's all from this special extended edition of Insight. Next week, Insight will consider what can be done about this country's growing rate of poverty. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs>